0: From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. This is WIA National
1: News for week commencing May the first, 2016. Hi, I'm Robert, VK3DN.
2: And I'm Brian, VK3GR, filling in once again for Graham, VK3BB, over the next month while Graham has some time off for a break. Yes, and thanks to Graham for
1: giving us the opportunity to help out once again. Now, we've got a pretty full broadcast this week, so it's on to the VK National News Stories. And you've got the first one, Brian Wireless
2: Anzac Burt Billings. On the broadcast last week, Graham VK4BB told how Burt Billings of the Melbourne Bayside suburb of Brighton was an early pioneer that became the first and last Wireless Anzac. An article to appear in Amateur Radio magazine by Jim Gordon, VK3ZKK, former manager of the Australian Army Signals Museum at Macleod in Victoria, traces his exploits from having sent the first Army wireless message in Victoria. Listeners to VK1WIA last week heard of how Billings served in World War I, initially at Gallipoli, and beyond that throughout the Great War. The article in Amateur Radio will look at the very early years of Bert Billings, born at Avenel in Victoria, 1894, the son of a railway station master. His schooling included a merit certificate at 15, then started work in the local post office as a telegraph messenger, and after further education at the Working Men's College, now RMIT Melbourne, to become a junior clerk at the St Kilda Railway Station. With the formation of the Commonwealth of Australia, the Corps of Signallers was formed on the twelfth of january nineteen oh six, with Billings enlisting in nineteen twelve. Being a clerk in the Victorian Railways required him to be a telegraphist, and he also had his own experimental wireless station with a call sign of XJP. Wireless equipment included self-wound coils, homemade variable condensers, an accumulator for power that had to be recharged at an electric substation, an old car ignition spark coil, a crystal detector and headphones. He had regular Morse code contacts with a friend nearby and could receive telegram signals from coastal steamers. Already a wireless experimenter and accomplished telegraphist, he gravitated to army signals. His war service and civilian life has been preserved thanks to content of two self-published books. The article by Jim VK3ZKK and an earlier report in the same journal acknowledged Bert Billing, ex-JP, was the first and last wireless ANZAC. And thanks to Jim VK3PC
1: for that story. ANZAC Day special amateur radio event. Organised by the School Amateur Radio Club Network and the Melbourne Region Scouts and held on ANZAC Day, it attracted some 200 school children, Scouts and their families. The all-day event was at the first Bentley Scout Hall, Patterson Road, Bentley in southern Melbourne. Highlights included a high-altitude balloon launch, a moving Anzac Day ceremony and many radio-related activities and displays. The progress of the balloon, which was tracked by local radio amateurs, was closely monitored by the children on their mobile devices. The soldering activity and historic radio display attracted a lot of attention. Julie VK3FOWL and Joe VK3YSP who were the main organisers, expressed many thanks to all involved and it seems to have become an annual event. Now, on to some news about the upcoming WIA AGM and a balloon launch for the AGM. Yes, a PICO party-type balloon is to take to high altitudes, hopefully floating over the South Pacific and including a greeting message to the Wireless Institute of Australia General Meeting and Conference on Norfolk Island. Trackers will hear the payload JT9 packets with the message WIA AGM VK9WI from the balloon PS65 along with the normal data of its location, altitude, temperature and battery condition. Andy VK3YT has prepared the flight and the software payload, the latest in a series of such PICO balloons, solar powered balloons that have encircled the globe. The greeting message is in response to a request from the WIA, and Andy, VK3YT, humbly accepted such a challenge. He explains that the transmission schedule has the greeting message and the first packet twice per hour when the battery is charged. Its travel will be tracked on Norfolk Island during the WIA AGM and by many other trackers in VK, ZL and Worldwide. Good luck with PS65 to be launched from Melbourne to mark the WIA AGM members' forum and events on Norfolk Island, May the 27th, 28th and 29th.
2: That sounds like a pretty good initiative and thanks to Andy for his help with putting the balloon launch together and now to hams across
3: Australia. Club focus. Chances are your club will have a constitution and near the beginning of that document will be listed a set of one or more objects. The objects are an outline of why the club was formed in the first place. The rest of the document is about good management of the club. A good measure of how your club is going is to list the objects from your constitution and have an honest discussion about whether or not your club is doing what it should be doing. So, what if you aren't doing what it says in the objects? In simple terms, it means one of two things. Either you need to take a long, hard look at your club's activity program, or you should review your constitution because your objects may be out of date or too narrow in their scope. If you believe that your club isn't meeting the objects in its constitution, it's time to take a look at what you are doing. In fact, your constitution's objects must embrace the club's activities. To achieve this without restricting creativity, however, the object should be fairly broad and not a list of specific activities. So now we've sorted out your objectives, what does your club spend its energy on? What occupies most of your time at the club? The first suspect on my list is meetings. The business part of any club ought to be dealt with by short committee meetings with minutes circulated to members. Any business out of the ordinary can be taken to a broader group of members. However, the day-to-day mundane stuff about paying the rent, the power bills, etc. is for the committee. So, having relieved general members of the drudgery of meetings, there's plenty of time to engage the members in club activities. These can be instructional, information sharing, maintenance and construction of antennas etc and yes playing with the radios. By a simple process of doing away with the unnecessary and replacing it with the fun stuff your club will become focused, more interesting and members will enjoy attending club meetings and activities. I'm Bob VK6POP.
1: Thanks Bob and now it's up north to Jeff Emery with some thoughts that he's been having.
4: Hello, I'm Jeff Emery, VK4ZPP, and I've been thinking. Perhaps the most powerful expression of hope in the 20th century was the speech by Martin Luther King. Dr. King will always be remembered for his I Have a Dream speech, which spelled out the desire for equality of a section of the American community. The listing of points and the reasons that have been given by the WIA takes some 22 pages in a submission to the ACMA. You won't find the poetry of I Have a Dream, but for Australian amateurs, these are the hopes for license conditions in the future. You can find the letter on the Institute web pages. I think that the distinction, apart from the scope of the issues, is that in spelling out what can be imagined of the future of electronics technology and mating it with the future of governance of communications, is both an exercise in crystal ball gazing and the ideology followed by the regulator and successive governments. If you can get your teeth into this submission, there is a multiplying of the options that science and industry are making available, and this is seen as a reasonable request for our licences to reflect this within amateur radio. All Australian amateurs will have the benefits of this renewal, thanks to the Wireless Institute of Australia. I'm Jeff Emery, and that's what I think. How about you?
2: Thanks, Jeff. And now to international news with thanks to IARU RSGB SARL, Southgate Amateur Radio Club, the ARRL, Amateur Radio Newsline, NZART, and the worldwide sources of the WIA. Easier to operate while visiting the Rio Olympics. Radio amateurs hoping to operate in Brazil during the 2016 Olympic Games have been invited to do so through an initiative of the Brazilian Amateur Radio League, Labre, that reduces the normal hassles. IARU Region 2 News Editor Joaquin Solana, XE1R, reports that foreign radio amateurs in Brazil for the Olympics of August and September will be able to operate whether or not a reciprocal agreement exists. Library has obtained a fee-free license for such visitors after negotiations with Anatel, the Brazilian telecommunications regulator. Those wanting to operate should send Labre, an email scanned copy of a valid passport identification, amateur license copy, and a list of cities with dates. There has been no news yet if there will be a special event station or a call sign for the Rio Olympics. Further information in English at labre, L-A-B-R-E dot org dot br slash, well. The link is in the
0: text edition. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA Amateur Radio News Service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au.
1: So what's in a name? Innovative Solutions in Space? Well, that would be ISIS. The Radio Amateur Society of Thailand report that innovative solutions in space are building the first Thai ham radio satellite, JAISAT-1. The JAISAT-1 CubeSat is planned to carry a linear transponder and RAST say that the satellite will be constructed by innovative solutions in space. Thailand's regulator, the National Broadcasting and Telecommunications Commission, agreed to provide 9.3 million baht, that's about 375,000 Australian dollars, in funding over two years for the RAST-sponsored JAI Sat-1 project. And in other news, Romania joins 5 MHz. News is broken that the Romanian Telecoms regulator Ancom has granted YO amateurs access to 5 MHz on a scheduled testing basis, starting 8th of April 2016 for approximately a year's duration. At the moment, it's limited to 3 kHz wide. Five three six three point five to five three six six point five kilohertz slot CW P S K Ritty and WSJT being permitted. Maximum power allowed is fifteen watts EIRP.
5: Hello everyone, this is Clive, VK six Charlie Sierra Whiskey, with the usual reminder that tomorrow, Monday, may the second, the Radio Amateurs Old Timers Club of Australia's monthly news and information bulletin goes to air. This month, as well as all the usual club news, we feature three short talks one on paddle keers, another on a grounded semi vertical antenna, and the third, recollections from operators in G land. Everyone, RAOTC members and non members alike, is most welcome to listen to the program and to join in the callbacks afterwards. There are several ways to hear the broadcast. At 0100 UTC, Bill, VK3BR, will beam the program northwards from Melbourne on 20 metres on 14.150 MHz upper sideband for eastern states' listeners. An hour later, at 0200 UTC, there will be a 40 metre transmission from Perth on 7088 kHz lower sideband, with a simultaneous transmission via all linked News West repeaters. Additionally, local relays also take place. Please visit our website at www.raotc.org.au Just repeating, www.raotc.org.au and click on VK3OTN Broadcasts for details. If none of these times suit you, then as from Tuesday, you can download the audio file from our website. Once again, the RAOTC Monthly Bulletin is scheduled for tomorrow, Monday, May the 2nd, and we look forward to hearing your call sign during the callbacks. 73 from Clive, VK6CSW. Shame so
2: far away. 25 used ex-BBC local radio cars are being sold on behalf of the BBC. The vehicles are all Peugeot-based on either 806 or 807 models. They have a professional technical installation of a pneumatic mast. Most have technical battery fit-outs with split charging from engine and external mains inputs with 13-inch equipment racks and audio monitoring. Now, hello, can you hear me? An Alabama-USA company has agreed to pay 20500 in civil penalties to settle charges that it illegally operated cellular phone jamming devices on its premises in violation of FCC rules. The company, the Supply Room Inc. of Oxford, Alabama, installed four cell phone jammers in the company's warehouse to prevent employees from using their cell phones at work. An anonymous complaint about jammers was filed with the FCC, which resulted in an inspection of the warehouse by an agent of the FCC's Enforcement Bureau. During the inspection, the agent used direction finding techniques to detect wideband emissions in the cellular bands and confirm the presence of the jammers. Upon request, the warehouse general manager surrendered the jammers to the agent. And there's a link with more information in the text edition.
1: And here is this week's Weird and
6: Wonderful story Weird and Wonderful. Dog catcher needed for missing astronaut Pooch. Think twice before sending your dog, even a toy dog, into space. We hear more from Amateur Rodeo Newsline's Jim Damron, November 8, Tango Mike Whiskey. I'm Jason, VK2LAW.
7: Find Sam. Those words, preceded by a hashtag, signal the world's focus on social media on the intense search efforts by some London primary school students on locating the plush toy they launched with a helium balloon into space. Sam, the toy dog, was equipped with a GoPro camera and GPS tracking equipment. But when the balloon popped 15 miles above the Earth and everything that went up eventually came down... Sam was nowhere to be found. They did not, after all, equip Sam with a map. Radio amateurs, of course, can relate. Trackers, transponders, balloons, and often ground searches are part of the amateur experience for many who enjoy this kind of experimentation. Now, it's unlikely Sam met with the same fate as Laika, the Soviet space dog who orbited the Earth in 1957 and failed to survive, but the question remains... Where in Northwest England could Sam have landed? The world asks, have you seen this dog? Even a local hotel that helped sponsor the project is offering a free stay to Sam's finder. For the students, this was supposed to have been a lesson in astronomy and physics. But perhaps the teacher should have also thrown in some studies of animal husbandry, or at least dog breeding, the kids might have decided they'd be better off using a retriever. For Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Jim Dameron, N8TMW. From the Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm editor Karen Eve Murray, KD2GUT, and you're listening to VK1 WIA.
1: Thanks, Jason. And now it's to Operational News 2016. Harry Angel 80-metre sprint WIA on Saturday the 7th of May. The 1010 International Summit Contest on August 6th and 7th, Remembrance Day or the RD Contest is on August 13th and 14th, and the 36th Alara Contest is to be on the last full weekend in August, that's the 27th to 28th. And now to some important news about the Harry Angel Contest.
8: Good morning, this is Kevin VK4UH, and I'm the Contest Manager for the Harry Angel Memorial Sprint. And just a, a reminder that the, this year's contest will be held on Saturday, the, May the 7th, which is coming up very soon. The contest was started in 1999 to commemorate the life of Harry Angel, VK4HA, who at the time of his death was the oldest Australian licensed radio amateur. The contest uh, is an 80-metre sprint and runs for 106 minutes one year for every year of, uh, of Harry's life a very simple contest aimed at both newcomers to contesting and to uh, established and dyed-in-the-wool uh, contest operators. And in four sections, you can enter as a, into the phone only, the CW, a mixed section, and as last year, there will be a listener section. Full details about the rules and the, uh, and the contest itself were published in the March AR and are available on the WIA website. Uh, ...under the contest section. So all the information is there on, uh, on, on times. But basically it starts at, uh, at 10 o'clock UTC on Saturday and runs for 106 minutes. And don't forget that points gained in the, the Harry Angel contest also, uh, also go towards uh, the WIA contest champion, the Peter Brown Trophy... So the contest itself, of course, is open to, uh, to all grades of licensed amateurs who have access to 80 metres. So dust off those antennas and, and the microphones and the Morse keys. And we look forward to, uh, to seeing you on air on Saturday, May the 7th, for the Harry Angel Memorial 80 metre sprint. This is Kevin VK4UH uh, on behalf of the Redcliffe and District uh, Radio Club, who are the sponsors for the Harry Angel.
2: Thanks to Kevin for that. And now to Special Event Stations, DX, Beacon Repeater and NetAdvice. Dog Island is IOTA Reference NA085. And Bruce, K5TEN, will once again be active from Dog between May 14 to 21st. Activity will be on 80 through 6 metres using CWSSB and possibly RIDI PSK31 and JT65A. QSL via his home call sign, direct or by the Bureau. LX1AM, a special call sign in Luxembourg, is activated through June to mark the 95th anniversary of His Royal Highness the Grand Duke, Gene of Luxembourg. Luxembourg Amateur Radio Union will be working LX1AM on single sideband as LX1EA and LX3X in digital modes. There's a special QSL card that will be sent via the Bureau for this. And Malta 9H... QRV is 9H3DJ until June 1 while on a business trip. Activity is in his spare time and mostly using SSB on 17 metres. QSL to his home call sign of K0MDJ.
1: The Other Heard Island D de- Expedition, VK0LD. The recently ended Heard Island VK0EKD de- expedition logged more than 75,000 contacts, but the brief under the radar contemporary VK0LD operation also put a new one into a few more logs. VK0EK logistics team member Mike Coffey, KJ4Z, operated as VK0LD from California, remotely controlling one of the VK0EK Ellicraft K3S operating positions. He used a K3-0 mini and free RemoteHams.com RC4B client and remote server software to work 41 stations on 20 metres. On April the 4th, VK0LD transmitted its first CQ from Heard Island on 20 metres CW with Coffee at the helm from his home in Pano Alto. Over the course of the next 50 minutes, VK0LD logged 41 QSOs across Asia and then Europe as the band began to open up. He recounted, Alan Cheshire VK6CQ is the licensee of VK0LD. On DX Summit, one Australian station declared VK0LD to be a pirate. Not a pirate, KY6R posted in response. Finally, control was handed back to the regular VK0EK operations, Coffey said, but for 50 minutes I was having an amazing, incredible experience of working a pile-up, a top 10 DXCC entity from the other side of the world. Coffey said that the K3-0 setup made it like almost being there
0: from australia this is vk1 wia and the weekly wia amateur radio news service on rf internet streaming and text at wia.org.au
6: the wia journal amateur radio magazine for may adorning the cover is a group of primary school students at a solar powered portable amateur satellite station And inside is an excellent article on the Mini Satellite Antenna Rotator by Joe VK3YSP and Julie VK3FOWL. The magazine editor, Peter Freeman of VK3PF, has promised that his recent tryout of the new ICOM IC7300 transceiver will feature in a later review. Meantime, Peter Hartfield, VK3PF, has a product review on the FTM 100DR VHF UHF dual-band transceiver, well worth reading. Luke Steele, VK3HJ, has again returned to the magazine as a scribe and takes on the popular DX column. In CW Today, the column, there's a further discussion by the author, Louis Sondi, VK5EEE, on band usage and conflicts. Among other regular columns is the VHF, UHF and Expanding World by David Minchin, VK5KK, where among the topics is the El Nino weather pattern and its effects on propagation. The gift of a single sideband by Bob Gilchrist, VK2HH, looks at the arrival of SSB on our bands. And there's also an interesting piece about VK3BM being told to get back on air when Darwin was bombed. Amateur Radio magazines sent to WIA members 11 times a year will be in most letterboxes by the end of the week. I'm Barry Robinson, VK3 Papa Victor, and you're listening to VK1WIA. Thank you, Barry. And now... Up
2: north again, to Felix, VK4FUQ. I'm
9: Felix, VK4FUQ. Broadcast monitoring SWL and Scanner News. Air shortwave may shut down. The external shore broadcast from All India Radio, AIR, may cease due to high maintenance costs. AIR external service transmissions first began in British India on October 1, 1939, to counter-Nazi radio broadcasts directed to Afghanistan, Iran and the Arab Nations. Six transmitters were transferred to the Indian government in 1947. Today, the External Services Division broadcasts 57 transmissions daily, with almost 72 hours covering over 108 countries in 27 languages. Is broadcast radio doomed? James Careless writes in Radio World that the BBC is preparing for an internet-only world for broadcasting. He says, conventional radio and television broadcasting are doomed, eventually. Also, one might reasonably assume from reading British Bull Creative, the BBC's broadcast charter proposal, for the next decade of its mandate. The BBC's 10-year broadcast charter is up for renewal in 2016, the proposal is the Beeb's funding pitch to Parliament. To be sure, the BBC didn't use the word doomed or put a timetable on it. However, over the next 10 years, we will be moving to an internet-fit BBC, to be ready for an internet-only world whenever it comes, states the BBC proposal. For VK1WIA National News, I'm Felix, vk 4 fuq Inningham.
2: Radio amateur young timers. Amateur radio enthusiasts Julie, VK3FOWL, and Joe, VK3YSP, Gonzalez, are on a mission. They want Australian primary school children to discover the fun of making contact with radio enthusiasts around the world while stimulating their interest in science and technology. Peter Parker, VK3YE, has told us how Joe and Julie featured in the Term 1 2016 issue of Education Today, a school principals magazine. The article at educationtoday.com.au goes on to say, In today's world of broadband networks and social media, amateur radio might seem last century, perhaps even last millennium. But according to the Gonzales, there are amateur radio enthusiasts in every community that are eager to share their expertise with schools. Michael Day, Principal of St Kevin's Primary School in Ormond, is an enthusiastic supporter. Last year his school was one of the first three primary schools in Victoria to start an amateur radio club. He said, when I first introduced the school's amateur radio club I had no idea what a success it would be. We were lucky to have an amateur radio enthusiast within our ranks and the introduction was driven by this member of staff. The teachers, parents and students are now raving about it. To see the children confidently building electronic kits or talking to other schools over shortwave radio is quite incredible. While the purpose of amateur radio is largely self-education and technical experimentation, many operators around the world form long-term friendships, thereby fostering international goodwill. Historically, strict licensing requirements discourage participation, but that changed recently and with simplified licensing, low-cost equipment and no minimum age requirement, there has been a resurgence in participation. Now, unlike Citizen Band, all amateur radio operators are licensed and must identify themselves using their individual call signs. Amateur Radio Communications is subject to the Radio Communications Act and is regulated by the Australian Communications and Media Authority, thereby providing an open, safe and friendly environment for adults and children. School amateur radio clubs used to be far more common than they are today, says Joe Gonzalez. They were once a refuge for students who didn't quite fit into the often competitive Sports-oriented mayhem of school lunchtimes. They were a haven for all those with an interest in pulling things apart to see how they work, just tinkering around with stuff and seeing what will happen if I do this. Of course, the students didn't know it then, but they were all developing the skills needed for a career in science and technology. The article encourages schools interested in starting a radio club to look for a local amateur radio operator willing to commit to regular club sessions at the school and to work with them to establish the club, by buying some basic equipment and setting up an antenna. Next comes the fun of completing a six-week training program, during which they become proficient in the technical aspects of radio and learn the protocols of making contact and talking to enthusiasts on the other side of the earth. Our vision is that one-day school amateur radio clubs will enjoy many of the benefits that other clubs take for granted, like having their own regular on-air nets, contests, hamfests, field days, conferences, newsletters, even a regular column in amateur radio magazine, the Gonzales say. We firmly believe that the children will change the face of Australian amateur radio. Schools interested in starting an amateur radio club should start with a visit to www.sarcnet.org. And that was spotted by Peter Parker, VK3YE. Tuning
10: in, a history of radio. The press fulminated, the enthusiasts were frustrated, and the radio manufacturers fumed. Despite the fact that Marconi had invented radio before Queen Victoria had celebrated her Diamond Jubilee in 1897, radio in Britain took another 25 years to begin an official service to listeners. But when, on November 14th, 1922, the British Broadcasting Company's station at Marconi House radiated to an awaiting nation, This is 2LO calling, for the first time under the company's name, it marked the start of the first and most distinguished public service radio station in the world. As part of the celebrations to mark nine decades of the BBC, historian Dominic Sandbrook explored the long and involved pre-BBC history of radio in Britain, how Britain's broadcaster got going and developed into an institution dedicated to entertainment, education and information, discovered how Australian diva Dame Nelly Melba was involved and how the improbably named Captain Plug made his first commercial broadcast to Britain sponsored by Selfridge's Department Store from the Eiffel Tower, from Marconi to Savoy Hill via an old army hut in Essex, the story of the early radio in Britain. It may still be available to listen to on the BBC's homepage. Look for the BBC Radio 4 programme, Tuning In.
2: Ah, well, enjoyable as usual, Rob. And thanks to Graham for giving us the ropes. Well, until we meet again next week.
0: This has been VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service. On RF, we thank our rebroadcast team and you for listening. And remember, internet streaming and text of this news is available 24-7 at wia.org.au.